Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Hey, everybody. Bring it on in. We've got a lot of work to do. Come find your seats. Hey, BT. What's up, brother? If you would like a Bible, we've got some brothers here that are passing them out. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be in verses 13 and 14 today. So if you have a Bible or a phone or an iPad or some kind of device with the Bible on it, or you want one of these uh, vintage paper things that we have called books, uh, you can also use that Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 14. Uh, as has been our practice for the last three weeks, uh, my name's John, by the way, if you're new here, welcome, and uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, you came to a church service this morning, so you will be asked to engage in church-like activity. Uh, but if you don't want to, you can simply observe, and or if you are interested in experimenting, I like to call things experiments often. Uh, I have to kind of trick my brain sometimes into doing things that are religious or spiritual. Say, well, I'm just going to experiment and see if this works, you know, this whole prayer thing. Uh, because I, I think for me growing up, it was like this thing I had to do. I had to go to church. I had to pray. I had to read my Bible. And it was just this sort of weight. So now I look at it like, well, I'm just going to experiment, see if reading the Bible actually does anything. Well, I'm going to experiment and see if praying actually does something. So for those of you that showed up here this morning and thought, I'm just here to be entertained and uh, I'm going to outsource my relationship with God to the guy that's talking up there. And if he does a good job, I'll feel close to Jesus. But if he doesn't do so good, then I'll criticize him later at lunch. Uh, you can do that. Or you can experiment with me. So we've been doing these practices for the last three weeks. The first week we did contemplative prayer. The second week we did some meditation. Uh, or no, we did some Lexio Divina, a modified version of that. Last week we did some meditation. And now this week we're going to do what's called the prayer of examine. Or uh, the examine of conscious um, is what this is. This is an old, what we would call an Ignatian exercise. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola, he founded the Jesuit order in the Catholic Church, and so for those of you that grew up Catholic, uh, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything here. Uh, some of us have some uh, Catholic PTSD, and that's okay. Um, I actually really a lot of the practices that the Catholic Church practices, and I think we have uh, made a huge error in abandoning a lot of them. And so, uh, Catholic, by the way, just means universal, just so you know. It means everybody. The whole church, God's church. So I'm going to give you the short version of the examine today. Examine can be done in the morning. It can be done in the evening. Uh, but it's a great practice of just simply stopping, slowing down, becoming aware of God's presence. And then normally you do this at the end of the day. Uh, you would review the day uh, with gratitude. Where was I most loving? Where was I least loving? Uh, pay attention to your emotions. Again, if 
this is outside the box, just think of it as an experiment. Uh, you would choose one feature of the day and pray from it, and then you would look forward to tomorrow. How might I enter into tomorrow with greater love, greater compassion, greater mercy, greater patience, greater kindness? Uh, so we're going to review the day at like 10 in the morning. <laughs> so you've had a, Some of you have had a 15 minutes to be awake. <laughs> Some of you are still waiting for the coffee to kick in. Even though you were up earlier, you're not truly awake yet. Some of you have been up since 5 or earlier. Some of you moms have been up since 3 or 2 uh, multiple times. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to examine where we're at at this point. So I'm gonna, it's going to take like four minutes, you guys. <laughs> it's like a four-minute experiment. And... Uh, but my hope is that this practice, again, it's like doing 10 jumping jacks. You're going to feel like nothing happened. But if you incorporate these practices through a daily routine, then eventually you're going to get stronger and stronger, and you're going to be able to do more and more and longer and longer of this kind of uh, engaging with God. So we're going to take just 30 seconds. If you would just close your eyes, get comfortable in your chair. And we're simply going to become aware of God's presence, just realizing that uh, the presence of God is all around us, constantly moving toward us, constantly revealing itself in the beauty of the creation, in the love of our neighbor. God is all around, constantly moving toward us in love. And now just turn your thoughts toward this morning just this morning, and try to think of something to be grateful for. Review your day thus far with gratitude. And this may be uh, more difficult for some than others. Breathe in and breathe out, and notice that that breath in your lungs is life. And thank God for that, that you have life in you. Perhaps you saw some beautiful scenery on your way here this morning. Perhaps it's the person sitting next to you. Review the day thus far with gratitude. Thankful for the donuts I had, the coffee, a chair to sit in. Just pay attention to your emotions. Are you feeling anxious? Are you worried? Are you anticipating something today? Are you distracted by all the things that need to get done before Monday hits? Where are your emotions? Are you at peace? thus far on this morning. Just choose one feature so far of this morning and pray from it. One experience of gratitude.
connection to God. Maybe it's just been the last two minutes. But I need more of this in my life. look forward to the rest of the day and to tomorrow. Perhaps just a prayer in your heart of your hopes. Just asking God's presence to remain tangible to you throughout the rest of this day and through tomorrow. That spirit of gratitude to continue. Lord Jesus, may we be present to our own lives. May we be awake to what's happening all around us and inside of us. May we show up in our own lives, fully present. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, those are like 10 jumping jacks, but if you don't practice it here, it's hard to know how to do this when you get home, and so it's Really, it took four or five minutes, but it can really recenter your day and your heart in the right direction. So I encourage you to keep these things up as we move forward. Disclosure, all the great ideas that I have are not mine. Uh, I get them from far superior, smarter people, and I just relay them to you guys. So uh, I brought some of the resources that I've been using for these last few weeks. And so if you're interested, uh, Tapon, Finley, Calhoun, Boyle, uh, Tarman, there's many that have contributed to these ideas, and I want to be sure to make those available to you guys so you can come and get names and all that kind of stuff. But we're three weeks in, and I want to just recap for you uh, what we've been talking about for the last three weeks in about a minute. And uh, you're all thinking, well, why didn't you just do that at the beginning and then, like, give us two weeks off? Um, forget it. I like the sound of my voice, too. So... We talked about the first week that Jesus woke up believing things. And for many years, we have been taught to believe in Jesus for our salvation, for going to heaven when we die, for the forgiveness of our sins. But what would it look like to believe like Jesus believed? Jesus rolled out of bed or off whatever he was sleeping on in the morning and thought the world was ordered in particular ways and lived his life based on those beliefs. And what if our beliefs matched those? And what kind of paradigm shifts need to happen in our own life in order for us to go about life in the way that Jesus went about it? Uh, that would be a new, a new thing for me. So when I, when I get up here and I say these things, I want you to know, like, this isn't coming from a place where I have arrived. So part of being on the stage is, a, is, is it puts me on a pedestal, and I really don't belong up there in that sense. I'm with you guys, so when I'm preaching this stuff, <laughs> I'm saying it to myself as well, and I hope it connects with you because it connects with me, and I live in this community, and I'm friends with many of you here, and so I don't, I don't say this stuff as like, you all need to do this, you should just do this, try harder, do better, be more like me. That's not what I'm trying to get across here. What I'm trying to get across here is, this is what I'm teaching to myself, and I'm hoping it's also connecting with you. I'm also on this journey of trying to become a kinder, gentler, more compassionate, merciful person 
connected to Jesus and not entangled by all these attachments and addictions and things that I have in my own life. I want to be free like many of you want to be free. I want to be connected like many of you want to be connected. So this does not come from a place of, hey, I, I got it. And let me tell you what you need to do. This comes from a place of, I'm with you. And I'm trying to figure it out too. And I, I'm here in the chairs with you most Sundays. And I'm listening and I'm trying to figure it out. To take the next right step. Like you. So, for three weeks, we've been talking about paradigm shifts. What if you had the wrong paradigm? Then you would be living out the wrong kind of life. And we talked about how someone was awarded the Nobel Prize for the lobotomy. And that is a wrong paradigm. That does not help. We talked about how Jesus lived with this paradigm of the kingdom. There was a reality hidden in the midst of this one that he was insisting was there, a way of being in the world. The kingdom, as he talked about it, perhaps a family, a way things work in our family, that kind of thing. Uh, and then last week, we talked about how Jesus had this paradigm. He woke up grounded in a deep love. So he woke up not, not worried about where he was going to get his worth, who was going to tell him he was good enough or smart enough or fast enough or thin enough. It was... He was grounded in the love of what he called metaphorically a daddy's love, a loving father. So I have a verse I want to read uh, to you, and we're going to put it up there. This is, uh, today is going to be kind of sort of the, the paradigm for today, Jesus' belief. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is destruction, and many, many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So I don't like this verse, um, which is why I kind of wanted to go after it a little bit, um, because it feels real exclusive. It feels like we're really elite, you guys. You know, people that follow Jesus, we're the best of the best. We are not like everyone else that is going down the path to destruction. And... Uh, just full disclosure, uh, I'm part of the many who enter through the one that everybody's finding, that wide way. I'm part of that. Uh, partly because I'm still alive, uh, and we'll get to that. But only a few find it. <laughs> only a few find this narrow thing. And I, this has been, felt like a really exclusive verse, and I'm going to hopefully turn this thing upside down because I think Jesus is that kind of person who turns things upside down and takes things, our traditional interpretations of things and says, hmm, you're kind of missing it. And so we're going to try and make some sense out of this. Uh, here's full disclosure on where we're headed today. We're three weeks in. Death is the new living. Dying is the new living. We ain't ever getting older. Uh, fame. I'm going to leave. Sorry. Uh, this next part's censored. Um, we've got some attachments, some skinny doorways, some detachment. We all, we will all fit in eventually and exercise. Okay, so it's all death, dying, and losing. I wanted to just kind of, when I say it's all about death, dying, you probably immediately thought of following Jesus, right? Death, dying, and losing makes you think of Jesus. But I, I put this together for you. Uh, the parable of the lost sheep is for all 
you know, a lost sheep is for all intents and purposes a dead sheep. Uh, it's pretty defenseless. A parable of a lost coin is what we might call a dead asset. Uh, the unmerciful student uh, servant who is being foreclosed on, uh, he was a dead duck. And uh, the parable of the lost son who squandered his father's inheritance, we might call that guy a deadbeat. And uh, Jesus says this thing, lose your life in order to find it. He says, Jesus says, unless a kernel of wheat dies, uh, he says something like, take up your cross, which is an instrument of execution daily. Uh, Paul, one of Jesus' followers, I have been crucified. He's been killed, apparently, with Christ. And then uh, he claims that you all were dead already in your sins. And then Paul said just flat out, you've died uh, to people that were still alive. So. It's a little morbid, right? Jesus, he's all about love, man. Nah, it's kind of like he's all about death, dying, losing. The way, I mean, this is weird. And I was thinking about this because I was, I was thinking about how to communicate this this week. And I'm thinking if I was watching a movie, like in my, in my house or in the theater, and there was a scene where there's like a church scene and there's a preacher and the main characters go to church and there's some dude up there like, talking and preaching and saying, the only way to live is to die. And it's all about dying in order to be reborn and resurrected. I would just be like, one, I'd be like, that guy's cuckoo. Like, that preacher's crazy. And what a terrible job that Hollywood's done again at portraying preaching and Christianity and Jesus, you know. Uh, man, can't they just get one really good person in Hollywood that preaches a sermon that's awesome, and instead of there's just some weird guy that's saying, you just got to die in order to live, and any average person watching that in the theater is going, that is bonkers, and I'm so glad I don't go to church, right? For the most part, no, you're all into that. Okay, good. This sermon's done. Here I am in a junior high auditorium spouting off things like Jesus believed that death was the way to true to life. Being lost is the way to being found and win and find fullness of life. Uh, And you're all good with that. I like that. Um, There's a man by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you have probably heard of. He lived during World War II. And uh, he's part of the uh, assassination plot against Hitler at the time made himself a double agent. He was a pastor, a theologian. Uh, He never lived to see his 40th birthday, for those of you that didn't know that. He was fairly young, and uh, he uh, came to an end in one of those camps uh, uh, two weeks before it was liberated by the Allies, unfortunately. But he wrote some books about following Jesus. One of them is called The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, Some of you may have heard of this, and it's a In this book, he writes, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Now, if I'm writing on behalf of Jesus, if I'm doing Jesus' PR, this isn't like great PR, right? Would you agree? Hey, cost of discipleship. When God calls a man, he just says, hey, come on over here and die. Most of us are like, hmm, I don't know if I'm in for that, right? I mean, really, if you took that seriously, And I was like, okay, we're going to, like, level two of following Jesus, guys. And it's going to be in the last portable over there. And all you got to do is there and die. I imagine there wouldn't be a lot of takers 
on that one, right? For the most part, not a lot of takers. I don't know if I really want to die. Good. If you're saying, no, I don't think I'd go to the portable, that's good because that means you're alive and you're human. Um, if you were like, yeah, I'm up. I'm up for that. I would question you, and uh, then I would call the police and say, this person's in danger of killing themselves. Um, but what is he talking about? When Jesus has all these things about death, death, die, take up your cross, be crucified, you were dead, all like what is he talking about? How does this work? Here's, here's, here's one of the things that I think Jesus is talking about. In these parables, the sheep, the coin, the lost son, they don't do anything to deserve the grace or the party that is thrown or the, the reception. They don't do anything. They don't wind themselves up and be like, all right, I'm just going to be more moral and a better person and really read my Bible and go to church more and give to the poor. The sheep is just wandering and gets found. The coin is lost and gone and gets found. The son was pretty much dead in that culture. And the father restores him. He gets found. But he didn't do anything. He didn't pay back what he, he did. He didn't even, I mean, he sort of said, sorry. <laughs> but he didn't really even get that out before the father was restoring him. And in that parable, the father never, never says a word to the son. Reread it. It's pretty interesting. He just says, my son was dead, and now he's alive. We don't really believe that that could really be true. We don't believe that all we have to do is die, be lost, give up everything, or believe in the death of Jesus, have faith in his death. We don't believe that that's all that we have to do. We have to do something else, right? We have to give every Sunday. We have to volunteer. We have to read. We have to study. We have to memorize. We have to do all these things. And all those things, though not bad, will never earn you. <laughs> will never get you there. there there's only the gracious saving determination of the shepherd, the woman, the father, the king. They're all surrogates of God to raise the dead. Now, we don't believe this. I think I have another slide here. I'm not sure. We ain't ever getting older. I've been listening. To, you ever go down like a YouTube channel thing where you're like watching a YouTube video and then you see like 40 other options on the side? And you're like, oh, what's that? Why did a billion people watch that about a shark? You know, mommy shark, doo -doo -doo, you know. A billion people watched that little video. And then, uh, so I was watching a video, and one of them was, uh, We Ain't Ever Getting Older. It's a song right now uh, called Closer. You guys heard this? I'm not going to sing it for you. But. In the refrain is, we ain't ever getting older. Thirteen times they say this in the song. We ain't ever getting, I'm like, no, okay, you are actually are getting older. 
But fight aging and look young forever. Forever. Five ways to have younger looking skin forever. Um, yeah. Uh, our culture does not like the idea of death, of dying, of getting older. Uh, I looked up the amount of songs that we have, like, Forever Young. Forever. There's a Rod Stewart song. There's an Alphaville song. Forever Young, I want to be. Okay, so there's all these songs. Our culture likes this idea of not getting older. We ain't ever getting older. Not dying. Not losing our lives. Accumulating things. You watch a lot of videos, and they just got, like, their big house, all the cars, all the ladies, all the men, all the whatever, all the bling, all the stuff. I mean, they're just adorning themselves with as much stuff to protect themselves as they can. But also, if you look at our culture, and I got, this is the censored part of my talk, because there's children present. Uh, the images of the immortal the things that do live forever are hideous and grotesque and tortured. The ones that actually ain't ever getting older, the zombies, they're nasty. I had pictures of them, and Anna said, no, no, no way. I'm going to be kids with my weeks. And I said, okay. The Walking Dead, anybody? The vampires, look, they, they all, don't all look like, Kristen Stewart and whatever, Robert Pattinson from whatever, what is it called? Twilight, sorry. <laughs> These beautiful teenagers that just, whatever, no. They're like gross. And the undead, there's a million of those different things that come out in our culture. Hideous and grotesque. A friend of mine says, uh, death my friend Gil says, death is God's default mercy. It's the only way back to full union with God. Uh, Jesus believes there's a way to die without actually physically dying now. Uh, and Jesus isn't in the business of saving the dying, okay? He resurrects the dead. You remember the story of uh, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha? And, uh, and Jesus is like, gets the message, Lazarus is sick. And he's like, well, let's just, I'm going to wait a little longer till he dies. <laughs> if I get there now, then I can't resurrect him. So he gets there. And what, this is what his sister says to Jesus, uh, what Lazarus, the sister, says to Jesus. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I think Jesus is like, it's a good thing I wasn't here. And she, like, she, he doesn't say that, but I think that's kind of what in the back of his mind he's thinking, well, yeah, it's a good thing I wasn't here then because now he's dead. Whew. Now I can resurrect him. But he says this to her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. 
And then he has this question, do you believe this? And now Jesus turns to me and to you, do you believe this? See, we just don't like Jesus' program. It's not a great program. The program of salvation via death, as proposed by Jesus, just stinks. That's like, one, it lets in all the riffraff, since all they have to do is be dead. And uh, it really offends, like, the classy, upper middle class, us Orange County folk. We, like, wouldn't be caught dead. No pun intended. Death, no way. I'm going to live forever. That's how we think about our lives. And I would argue one of the things we need to die to uh, are our attachments. We're attached to a lot of things. We have attachments in our lives. And uh, maybe you remember uh, a few weeks ago I read from Barking to the Choir about how a lot of the work they do with gang members in L.A. is called attachment repair. And ultimately, we're doing attachment repair to Jesus that that would be our only attachment. Ultimately, trying to let go of unhealthy attachments and attach wholeheartedly to Jesus. Have you done this, or are you in some way moving toward this? Uh, What is it that you're attached to? Some of us have some really negative attachments that we might call eventually addictions. Uh, Jesus had an attachment to God, to the Father. Some of you are attached to ideas. You're really attached to some particular ideas about how the world works. Some of them are good. Some of them are neutral. And some of them are just plain wrong. Some of you are attached to your opinions. Your opinions about how things should be or how about your life, how it should be or how things should work. Uh, for the In this country, for a long time, we were attached to the opinion that people of different uh, skin color were not created equally. And thus there was slavery in our country. And it took us a long time to be unattached to that opinion. And it's still taking us time to be unattached to that opinion. And we had to add an amendment. It was written into our Constitution. And we had to have an amendment to our Constitution saying, oh, we may have Uh, had been attached to the wrong opinion here. It only cost 625,000 lives to change that opinion. It could be a narrative that you have that you're attached to in your life. Uh, I'm not worthy of love. You could be attached to that narrative in your life. I'm not worthy of love. Uh, Jim Finley, uh, the guy who wrote this book uh, that I've been using, my friend Bart, who gave me the idea for this series, gets to meet with him, and he says, uh, Jim Finley's first childhood memory was his dad picked him up and threw him through the air, and he hit the edge of the table. If your narrative is that I deserve abuse, then you will self-abuse or you'll find someone else to abuse you. Now, he went down a long journey of finding his worth, He became a monk, studied under Thomas Merton, transformed the trauma into a channel for God's love. But it's not easy. That's not easy. 
You could be attached to that narrative. You could be attached to the opposite. Uh, that all I need is a constant and exaggerated love of myself. <laughs> and, uh, my friend Bard's hilarious. He's like, I'm sorry I've been talking about myself so much. Why don't you talk about me for a little while? You know? <laughs> oh, it was a great joke. <laughs> but you could think so poorly of yourself. You could be attached to that view of yourself, so, poor, so ashamed. Self-condemnation is a sin. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So if, you're, if you find yourself ashamed, condemning yourself, judging yourself, just know that that's, that's not the paradigm of Jesus. So when you walk out of here, and if you feel like, I'm just not doing enough, I'm just not enough, I'm, ah, ah, then you're not hearing the good news. And I keep saying, man, if, I, if you don't walk out of here hearing good news, it's good news. This is good news. Or you could be the opposite. You could be attached to the self-righteous opinion of yourself. I'm pretty good. I kind of got this thing down. And you know who's in and who's out and who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. And you're happy to let them know. Uh those were the people that put Jesus to death, by the way, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. You could be attached to your own disappointment. You're disappointed about your life, about how something turned out, about how you got treated, and you're going to live in it for the rest of your life. You could be attached to that. You could be attached to your rights. You could be attached to your fears. You could be attached to a grudge that you're holding. You could be attached to lust. You could be attached to anger or bitterness. You could be attached to Netflix. You could be attached to Hulu. You could be attached to your phone. Regret. You could be attached to security. I would argue this is a big one in our country. We spend more on defense than anything. We just need to... be attached to money, financial security. I was recently talking to someone who lost um, $150 million, which left them with $150 million. And that person was feeling like they had nothing to live for. So it's it's pretty clear that the amount of money doesn't matter. You, I, you know, I know very rich people who are not encumbered by their money, and I've met very, very poor people that are. So it's, it's, a, it's part of the heart there. For me, I'm attached to stuff, all kinds of stuff. I am a pack rat. It's the worst. I see people like... Uh, they're not here, and they'll hate that I called them out, but Kirsten and Topher Van Muir, um, Kirsten sings up here a lot. They just have, like, such a, they don't have any stuff in their house. Like, I go to their house, and I'm like, where's all your stuff? Like, it's, it's here. I'm like, but, but where? Like, where do you store all your stuff? They're like, it's, it's, like, but you don't have any stuff. 
<laughs> like, you go to my house, you go in the garage, there's all kinds of stuff. There's high school stuff. There's, like, little stuff from, like, my childhood. There's tons of stuff that nobody even knows what that stuff over there is, but it's stuff, you know? Like, oh, you open it up, and there's, like, some old water bottles and maybe, like, uh, some baseball cards in there and, you know, even, like, a pencil box with, like, 40 pencils in there. And there's just stuff. I got tons of stuff, and I can't get rid of my stuff. I'm attached to stuff. I got a stuff problem. Anybody else got a stuff problem? A few of you? Thank God. Anybody here have a storage unit? I don't, but I'd like to use yours if you have room. If you have one, you probably don't have room. <sighs> it's awful. You need a, you, could pay for, you pay for a place to put your stuff that you never use because you're attached to it, and I'm attached to it. Let's just be honest. I'm attached to it. And anything that takes us away from the love of God is taking us, is, is an attachment that we need to let go of. We need to let die. Skinny doorways. Let's go to, uh, I think, yeah. Enter through the narrow gate, the narrow door. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, including John. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to find it. Now, here is my argument for this. The only thing that is going to fit through that narrow door is you. That's it. It's you and all you. So every, everyone is going to, that door, which I will argue is the death of Jesus, and your own death. You cannot bring anything with you through that door. You cannot fit with your family. You cannot fit with your house. You cannot fit with the staff that you've accumulated with your wonderful business. You cannot fit with your style. You cannot fit with your grudge. You cannot fit with your bitterness. You cannot fit with your car, with your whatever it is. The only thing that gets through that door is your life, your whole life, just your life, just you, through the death of Jesus. That's it. So you can try all you want to live your way into heaven, but it's not going to work. You cannot live your way to heaven. You cannot live your way to the kingdom. You will have to die. And that's what I love about this is like, guess what? You're all going to pass through that door someday. We are all going to pass through this door where we don't get to take anything with you. I, I remember it was like high school. There was some sticker, bumper sticker. It was like, he who dies with the most toys wins or something like that. No fear. Some company. No fear. Um, no, you know, you don't get to take any of that stuff with you. And Jesus is trying to let you know that now so that you can enter into life now. Hey, all this stuff that you're surrounding yourself with and, and kind of barricading yourself with your nice house and your style and all your friends and your family and all these things, you're not truly free. And I came to set you free. And this stuff is an attachment that you need to let go of. Now, that's not to, this is why he says weird things like, unless you hate your mother and father, brother, sister, wife, and children, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. 
telling you, like there's a Twitter out there, Jesus needs new PR. The things that he says, you're like, why would you say that? I'm not going to hate my mom and dad and my brother and sister, my own life, my kids. But this is what he's trying to get at. Look, you're not going to be free if you're thinking that these things are the way. You give all of yourself to me, and what I do is I give it all back to you. A fullness of life, full love. Full love, a fullness of life found only in my death and resurrection. Do you want to be resurrected? Now. Do you want to be found in a fullness of life now? Put to death the things that are not of the love of God. It's a letting go. It's a practice we can do. In, a, in another passage of the scripture, Jesus says in Luke 13, 24, he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Uh, he says, many will strive, but few will have the strength to do it. Many will strive to enter through the narrow door, but few will have the strength to do it. Because it's this hard, because he insists that he himself, hanging dead on a cross, is the front door. This is the door to salvation. My death on the cross is the door. And he says that in John 10, 10, 6. He says, I am the gate. And then in John, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. That's a whole package. That's a total deal. All. If I am lifted up, again, we got to go to these morbid places and crucifixion, they are lifted up. If I am lifted up from the earth, he says, I will draw everyone to myself. His own death was going to do this. And our faith in that death is the way to salvation. So for me, this verse goes from exclusivity. Sorry, whoops. Let's go back. This verse goes from exclusivity to inclusivity. Nobody could do it. This makes me think of all the things I have to do when I first read it, that to be a good Christian and to get into the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, it's a narrow door. It's me. I'm the narrow door. It's my death and my resurrection and now your death and your resurrection. That is the way to life. Few are able to do it because so we're so attached we have all these attachments. And so what I wanted to do then is go to this next slide, is bring us to a practice of detachment. And that's naming and confessing attachments that take priority of God over God. That's allowing others to lead and win. That doesn't really make sense in our culture. That's letting go of in image management. Yikes. Be like blasphemy. This one right here. Not buying clothes just to stay in fashion. Sorry. I have a hard time with that one. But what if you were free to not care what other people thought? What if you were that free? Then you could buy clothes just because you like them. I like those clothes. And I don't, I'm not buying them so that you can approve of my image. I'm buying them because I like them. Letting go of, the, of notions that your money and possessions belong to you <laughs> and make you who you are. 
living on less rather than more, trusting outcomes to God rather than your own capabilities. Most of us, if you're like me, have ordered our prayer lives in such a way that if God can't come through, you'll figure out a way. Dear God, just please help us to uh, get the finances for this new tile in our bathroom. But if you don't come through, I think I'm going to do pretty well this quarter, so we're going to be all right. But that's how, I mean, that's, I'm just trying to talk about my own life. Uh, Honoring the freedom of others, refusing uh, to manipulate and control in order to. This is all from uh, one of the books up here, Adele Calhoun's uh, uh, Spiritual Disciplines uh, Handbook. Very helpful. So we're going to do a little practice here of detachment, and we're just going to read through some scriptures uh, silently and just meditate briefly on them as we close today. Uh, My hope for you is that... uh, I'll just read this one because I like it. Anyone who intends to come with me, follow Jesus, uh, has to let me lead. And you're not in the driver's seat, I am. This is from the message, I like it. Don't run from suffering. That's just weird. Embrace it. Uh, Paul talks about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to saving yourself, your true self. What do you need to detach from? What do you need to sacrifice? Let's go to the next one. Speaking to the people, he went on, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed, because even that's going to keep you out. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Here's Paul. Indeed, I have been crucified. It's morbid. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It's no longer important before you or or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driving to impress God. What? Christ lives in me. The life you see me living, it's not mine. It's lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's see the next. Richard Rohr, all great spirituality is about letting go. Letting go. And here's now in on prayer. Prayer is the act of dying to all that we consider to be our own and being born to a, a new existence, which is not of this world, is part of God's kingdom. So I want to just take a moment as we close. And in, would you just close your eyes with me? And would you just think of what are some things that I need to detach from? Some things that I'm trying to carry in through that narrow gate of Christ's death. Think of the most simple and obvious ones first. Ask yourself, do I really believe this? That when Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, that those who believe in him 
that even though they die, they live. Do, do I believe that? Or do I believe that I will live my way into heaven with all my things and all my stuff and all my accomplishments and all my good spiritual practices? It will not fit. What do I need to attach them? Jesus, would you reveal to me? Or is, I mean, mine's as obvious as when I open the garage. And I know that it goes even deeper than that. Show me and show my, my brothers and sisters here, what, what do we need to detach from in order to attach to your love? I've been instructed by my wife to keep a promise due to all the death, dying, and loss, so I will do my best. Um, my footnotes in Matthew directed me to Ezekiel, which isn't, but it does uh, reference to repent and turn yourself from all your transgressions or your stuff. I've heard a lot about, um, we get a lot of time to listen to sermons on the radio, so I get to hear about um, faithfulness of God. And God was faithful to accomplish the work he set out 2,000 years before I was even a glimmer in someone's eye. So all the things I do, all the things I collect, all the things I aspire to achieve really have no bearing on the outcome. It's already been done. So there's nothing I have to do. On the other side, there are plenty of things I get to do. I get to worship a God who loves me. I get to serve a God who chose to die for me. So I'm pretty happy about that, that... Um, one of the things I can't do is disappoint God. I'm pretty stoked on that. It's, uh, there are times in my life where I'm like, wow, I must have really disappointed God. But I guess I didn't. He already knew. So I got that going for me, which is nice. <laughs> so I'm going to close this out in prayer. Please pick up your kids. Um, and help out. You get to help out up there. All right. Father, thank you that I can't disappoint you. Thank you that uh, you accomplish the work regardless of what I do. I ask you to bless these people, send them out refreshed and hopeful and excited about getting to get closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.